listeners. Welcome to Grief Out Loud. Remember the last time you tried to talk about grief and suddenly everybody left the room? Grief Out Loud is opening up this often avoided conversation because grief is hard enough without having to go through it alone. We bring you a mix of personal stories, tips for supporting children, teens, and yourself, and interviews with professionals in the grief world. Platitude and cliche-free, we promise. Grief Out Loud is hosted by me, Jana DeCristofero, and produced by the Dougie Center for Grieving Children and Families in Portland, Oregon. Wherever you are right now, whether you're on a walk, riding the bus, driving somewhere, or just at home doing whatever it is that you do while you listen to podcasts, take a second and notice your breath. If you're like me, there's a good chance you're holding it a bit. Or doing that thing where you only breathe a little bit, like just barely below your collarbones. Then try and take a little bigger inhale and a much bigger exhale. Try it a few times. Each time you exhale, what do you notice? For me, the strange feeling starts to make itself known. I think most people call it relaxed, although I'm not that familiar with it, so I'll just have to trust them. When grief came into your life, How many of you lost track of that feeling of being relaxed, of breathing fully and easily? Sometimes grief can feel like a series of short inhales that we hang on to. Like we've lost so much already, we can't let go of anything else, including this breath. As we hold our breath, we tense up. We also tend to close off, get rigid, shield ourselves. Now, imagine what it's like when you listen to the show or you talk with others in grief and you have one of those Yes, exactly. You get it. Moments. For me, that experience feels like a long exhale. My shoulders drop. My heart feels a little lighter. I even feel kind of energized knowing that I'm not going to have to defend, explain, or justify whatever it is that I'm feeling or talking about. When it comes to grief, we often feel pressure to do just that, to explain why we feel how we feel or why we feel the way that we feel for as long as we do. It's exhausting. For Lisa Forneray, finding these moments of exhale and connection are vital. In the years since her mother died, Elisa has become a dedicated advocate for those in grief. She's focused on helping people ask for and get the support they need, especially in the workplace. More recently, she shifted into exploring how identity and grief are intricately linked, and how finding resources that are specific to those elements of identity can help those in grief have more of those exhale moments. For those of you who are longtime listeners, Elisa will be familiar. She was a guest back on episode 104 when we talked more about how grief affects us in the workplace and what companies can do to better support employees who are dealing with loss. If you missed it, be sure to check it out. This time around, we catch up with Elisa and all that's been happening for her in grief in the current context of the pandemic, having to move back to her hometown, what it's been like to collaborate with other Black women in the death care field, and how her mom's four-year death anniversary was the hardest one yet. Elisa, thank you so much for joining me again. Repeat performance on Grief Out Loud. I'm so excited to talk with you again today. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. I'm glad to be back. And for listeners who didn't get a chance to tune into our first episode, which was episode 104, can you give us just a brief like, tell us a little bit about your story, about your mom, about how you're doing the how you came to do the work that you're doing right now. Yeah. So 
I got into this work after my mom died in 2016. Um, for about a year before she died, though, I had been working on um, a print project and a creative project that was focused on death. So I had 12 months of just thinking about death in the abstract, thinking about it really creatively, working with writers and artists and all different kinds of people. Um, and then a month before we went to print, she went into the ICU and died. So I was already sort of thinking about death and grief and all these things a lot. Um, but I got into the work the way that I'm doing it now and involved now because I realized, okay, I've been doing it um, in this really abstract way. I need to look at myself and my own relationship with death and my own grieving experience. Um, so I started writing, um, I started producing products and then I started hosting events and here we are today. And um, the work has evolved a lot from the first types of things that I was doing to explore grief. Um, but at the center of it has always been how to support yourself and others through one of the most challenging, complicated, messy, weird, confusing um, experiences that we have in life. Since we last talked, so much has happened, both in the world and, and in your life. And because of the COVID-19 pandemic, you had to move from Canada back to California. And for a number of months, you were living in your childhood home, a place you grew up with your mom, surrounded by her things. And just wondering, like, what what's that experience been like? Yeah, it was challenging. Is probably <laughs> the best way to put it. Um, it it was it was hard for a lot of reasons. I mean, I I have not lived back in California since my mom died. I've either been living in Scotland or um, in Canada, and so I think just landing and being back in my hometown um, to start was really challenging and new. I think it was a lot of memories being triggered realizing some things had changed, some things hadn't changed. Um, and then I went into isolation for two weeks, completely alone and really spiraled um, into what I would say is probably one of the hardest periods that I've had since she died. Um, I was alone back in my hometown, couldn't see people, had left my husband. My dad was close, but I couldn't see him either. And it was just, it was really hard. And after that, I moved into like the guest bedroom at my dad's house and my, my mom's house. I was working from home there full time. I was home all day with my dad who's retired now. And I mean, it was just, it was wild. Like I'm, I'm 31 years old and I never expected A, to be living back at home <laughs> um, and B, to ever like be in that home without my mom physically present. It was really strange having so much of her stuff around because that's, you know, my dad has found comfort in that. Like there's more pictures of her up now than there ever were for my entire life. Um, and her stuff is still where it was when she died. Some of it, we've cleaned out uh, quite a bit, but like, there's just so much of her still there. It, and for him day to day, that's what he needed. I realized once I sort of plopped myself back into that setting. I was like, Ooh, this is not what I need. This is not where I find my comfort or where I find to be the best environment for my grieving process. So I was there for a little over a month, I think. And it was really hard. Did you come across anything of your mom's that was 
like a surprise or something you like didn't know existed or yeah, any discoveries in that way? Mm. Yeah. One of my coping mechanisms is to like sort things and go through things and like dig into things. So I, every time I'm home, I'm like, we need to go through this closet or we need to go through this cabinet of hers, or we need to like get rid of a bunch of her stuff again. And then I start, and then I'm like, oh, this, sometimes it feels really great. Sometimes it doesn't. Um, and this time I was sorting through a lot of her books. Um, and then I found that she had even more jewelry that like, I didn't even know about. And I, <laughs> when she first died in the first couple days, I was like, my job is to plan the funeral and sort through her things. And I went through boxes and cabinets and drawers just full of all of her old jewelry. And I had no idea that there was more. And I found a lot of that and was sorting a lot of that um, this last time while I was home. And I think there were some things I didn't expect to see. And then also, I don't know, she, she had a lot of funky stuff and it was just beautiful to find more of it. And you recently moved out of your childhood home and you've bought your a new house yeah. and for listeners. I know Elisa said she left her husband. She didn't leave her husband. He just had to stay in Canada. He's, he's coming. In Canada. Yeah, he's coming. <laughs> he's We're coming just... to visit today. <laughs> I know. I, I, at the beginning, I was like telling people, I was like, oh, we separated, we separated. And he was like, Elisa, like, you're just going to another place. We're not separated right now. Like get the terminology, right? Yeah. So he, we, um, we bought a house. I'm living in it alone right now. It's about 15 minutes from my dad's house again, back in my hometown, which we also didn't expect to be happening. Are there particular things of your mom's that you will be bringing with you into your new house? Yeah, I've got um, some of the artwork behind me that I have framed is some illustrations from some old books of hers. She was an artist. She was a nurse and she was also an artist. Um, so she has a lot of art books all over the house and they're like giant old coffee table books. And some of them are really nice. And some of them I was like, I would rather see these things that I know she would have loved flipping through every day on my walls instead of just having a bunch of coffee table books around. So I framed a couple of those. And then my mom is Canadian, um, was Canadian. I have a painting of a view from her hometown um, that she actually framed for me. So I have that in my office. I'm waiting to put it up. I'm like pointing to it over there. It's just on the ground. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I'm going to put all of that stuff up. She, being an artist, there was a lot of creative stuff around and in the house. And so those are the elements that I am bringing in. And then a lot of her books. I was actually at my dad's house last night. I went through a bunch of her books and brought them here. What a difference to be able to be choosing which of your mom's things you have with you in your house versus when you were living back in your childhood home and it was everything everywhere and not having like a choice and, and realizing like, oh, that actually works great for my dad, but that's not what's super helpful for me. The other change since we last talked is our last conversation was really focused on the support and work you were doing around work. What's it like to be grieving and working? And what's it like to be an employer and figure out how to support the folks that are working for you who are carrying grief? And in the last couple of years, your your work has really started to shift in some ways. What, what are some of the new directions you're going in? Yeah, so I'm actually quite, I'm still quite focused on 
the workplace from a different angle now. Um, and I'm also, yeah, shifting a lot to look at how identity plays into our grieving experience. Um, how, whether that's race, gender, age, location, class, sex, whatever it is, um, sexuality. I think for me, recognizing the value of very specific types of resources has become really important in my life and in my work. And as I have been accessing my own grief support resources, I said, wow, it really does feel different for me to be sitting across from someone who's black or to be sitting across from a woman or to be sitting across from a person who's experienced X in their life because we sort of meet in the middle. And I used to think about this in terms of the dead moms club and how someone else who's lost their mom, they sort of like meet you a couple steps further along in the conversation and the journey. So you don't have to fill them in on stuff. And I, I've really been working to look at how all parts of our identity can inform how like the best types of resources can support people. And a, a personal experience with that, I, I got to tune into the saying it louder conversation that you had with some other black women who are working in the the death sphere, you know, folks who are working in the funeral industry, folks who are working at end of life care, someone like you, who's really focused on the grief, the bereavement piece of it. And in your conversation was really about like, what does it mean to have a good quote unquote, good death in a racist society? And I wondered what that was like for you personally to take part in that conversation. It was truly one of the most comfortable, like enlightening, beautiful experiences that I have ever had speaking on these subjects. And I know for a fact that that was because I was surrounded by women and people that again, were like meeting me a couple steps ahead so that I didn't have to explain why it's important for people of color to have certain kinds of resources or why I was afraid of things when it comes to my own mortality or why things around identity, even in the workplace, I talked a little bit about in that um, session, why certain kinds of support systems need to be built in for people of color. Like they just get, they got it. They're the kind of people that get it. And there were no questions. There was no questioning. There was no gaslighting or bypassing. It was just like, we were there as a collective of people who truly honored each other's work and respected each other's work. And it was, it was incredible. It was, yeah, one of the best evenings I've had working with any group of people in this industry. And and from that experience, I mean, you all were sharing so generously about about your work and about how you interact with people and what's needed and, and, and all the different aspects that were coming out of that conversation. I just wondered if there was anything when you, when you left that time together, if it shifted your own grief in any way. Mm. I would say that interacting with this group of women over the last six months and being on that panel and then now having built out a course with them off of the back of that panel has made me feel more confident in sharing about how my grief is impacted by the color of my skin, intergenerational trauma, 
the things that I carry that I know other people do not and will not. Um, and being able to talk about that really openly and have the support of these women and people behind me um, has, I think, been a big shift for me, not only in my personal life, but also just in the way that I've been approaching things publicly this year. I don't know if this is the right summary of what you were saying, but like a way of stepping into more of your story that was always there. It's not like it's a new story, but that being able to more fully articulate what that means for you as a woman, a woman of color in the society carrying grief as well. Yeah. I think stepping into the power, I think finding the words too. I, one of the things about that panel that I, I, we were all like messaging immediately after it's like, Oh my gosh, we all feel so great. This feels so amazing. I feel so good. And I was like, I'm on fire because I recognize this pattern before that of sitting within this industry on a panel or like at an event or running my own events as part of like different kinds of conferences and things like that, that there was always this piece of me that was like, just not fully ignited and not fully comfortable to like speak up. I was always worrying if someone else was going to question what I was saying or that I was always thinking twice about what was about to come out of my mouth and being on that panel. I was like, I, I know what I'm talking about. I know what I'm doing. And this group of people being here with me has validated that. And the fact that I was invited into this conversation validates that um, in a way that no other panel or speaking gear or anything ever has. And I think that it allowed me to open myself up and say, I've got the words. I can articulate this. I don't need to think twice about it. I say this stuff all over the internet all the time. I talk to people about this all the time. Why has this like interaction of being, I don't know, in group settings or speaking publicly felt different before. And I was like, oh, it's because these women aren't gonna say, but, or, gaslight me or anything like that. Like it was, it was, it was a very unique, incredible, empowering experience. Alisa, for you mentioned the term gaslighting a few times, and I, I know that that's a term that many listeners may be familiar with, but for those who aren't, could you give just like brief explanation of what that term means for you? Yeah. Um, for me, it means simply questioning an experience that I have had or that I am explaining to them or that I am expressing experience with um, to ensure that it is diminished or to ensure that it is erased or to ignore it flat out. Yeah, sort of that idea of like, are you sure that's what they meant? Or are you mm -hmm. sure that's really what happened? You didn't misunderstand or I'm sure they didn't attend it that way. Like those kinds of things yeah, that happens so often in grief. In grief. Yeah. Yeah. Just grief in general. Um, and I think in so many different ways and so many different parts of grieving, but I think that there's like the layers of it happens in grief it happens as a person of color. It happens as a woman. It, there's like so many ways that it um, plays into our lives and experiences and having that all sort of 
like stacked on top of each other um, can make being very, very open or comfortable and expressing your grieving experience very challenging. Yeah. Challenging is a nice way to put it. <laughs> That's a nice way to, I'm trying to use, I'm like, some things, I don't know. I've been trying to figure out really like, are things hard or are they challenging me? And I think sometimes, yeah, some of that stuff just pisses me off, but it is challenging because it forces me personally to like have to advocate for my own experience of grief, of being a person of color, of being a woman, whatever it is. And it's just trying to work through it. (laughs) (laughs) And then there's the yes and, right? Like it's challenging and it's hard and Mm -hmm. it sucks all three of those things at the same time. Yeah. So I have this like really big question. And the big question is like, here you are carrying the grief of your mom who died just over four years ago. You're doing that in the context in which we live right now, which is pandemic and moving and living in a different country than you were living in. And the increased, how do you even say this? Like, it's not new that racism and police brutality have been happening, but there's much more increased like news and focus on it, or maybe just it's more on white people's radar, Mm -hmm. maybe a more like valid way to put it. But just thinking like every time you wake up and you check your phone and you look at the news and there's another story of um, a black person has been killed, or there's another story of how the pandemic is disproportionately affecting black and Latinx communities. And you're at your, you know, sorting through your mom's things. Like, I, what's my question? My question is like, how have you been dealing with all of that? Um, first off, I don't wake up and check the news on my phone. <laughs> that's, that's like been a huge shift for me. Um, because I was, I, I, I spiraled and I hit in the last three months, I've hit two lows that have been the lowest that I've felt um, in a very long time. And the things that feed that are obsessively checking the news when I can't control things. Um, It's been doing certain things to my body that aren't like healthy. So like I, when I eat well, I feel great. When I don't, it just, my grief is out of control. Um, I am staying in touch with a lot of people who recognize the sort of shifts in me. And when I'm going up and down on the roller coaster, um, who are keeping an eye out for me right now, as I'm like living alone in my hometown and it's isolation and where I am like it can be quite conservative so I'm just in like a mentally and sometimes physically feeling like I'm in an unsafe place how else am I coping with it I mean I'm just trying to rest I'm trying to eat well I'm trying to hydrate a lot I'm trying to move my body as much as I can in safe places and safe ways um, because I stay informed, but the amount of news about death, grief, murder, all of it right now is horrifically overwhelming. 
and it is very easy to get sucked into. I think what I'm advocating most for this year for myself and for all people who are grieving is boundaries and boundaries are critical and they are important when you are grieving in the midst of a, I don't just a dumpster fire. And so, yeah, the, the boundaries of what do I do? When do I do it? Who do I do it with? How do I do it? It, it, it plays into every single part of my life right now. It seems like there's a, a parallel process that so many people when they first step into this experience of grief, come to that place of like, oh, I got to set some limits. Like I have got to say no to some things, say yes to other things. I have the right to say no and say yes to certain things. And it, it seems like that's on hyperspeed right now <laughs> for so many different people in different ways. Yeah. I think the the big piece of it that you just said is the right to say yes and no to things because I know personally, and from obviously the work that I do and talking to people that feeling like it's okay to like not pick up my dad's phone call sometimes is something that has taken me a very long time to (laughs) accept. Um, Knowing that, you know, I had to tell, um, I work in HR and um, for an HR tech company, you know, knowing that I need to tell my colleagues and even my clients that I work with I am about to go into like the most challenging, hard, depressing, scary three months of the year, which is October, November, and December for me. I'm like, I don't know what this is going to look like. I don't know what kind of capacity I'm going to have. So like, you need to know that there are going to be boundaries that I'm going to start bumping into where I just don't have capacity for things. Or my brain some days just like, isn't going to switch on when I'm, for example, a week out from the anniversary of my mom's death for me being feeling like, Oh, I can say that to like someone I work with. I can put up a vacation responder and say, great. Thank you for your email. I will talk to you when I have the capacity to talk to you knowing and recognizing that we have not just like the ability technically to do it, but like the right to do it and the support to do it from the people that we surround ourselves with. It is, it's huge. And it's been a huge, um, transition and undertaking for me personally and professionally. I kind of loved when I sent you an email recently, and I think it was really right around the anniversary of your mom's death. And the autoresponder was like, not available. I'll be back after this day. And I was like, good for you. That's amazing. Yeah. And, and speaking of that, because you said this is sort of the start of the really hard season for you, October, November, December. And what was the anniversary of your mom's death uh, like for you this year? It was so bad. It hasn't, it, I, I, this is the worst I have felt in the lead up to the anniversary ever. I think it was a combination of many things like being alone, um, being in a new place typically, you know, and I was talking to my husband about it in the, the week before where I was just like, I was trying to go to meetings, crying, trying to like pee, crying, trying to take a shower, crying, trying to go to bed, crying. And it was all day, every day, almost every meeting. I just couldn't stop. I, I said to him, I was like, one of the things I'm recognizing is that at this time of year, right before the anniversary, 
I just let him do everything. And I'm like, I don't have the energy. I don't have the focus. I can't cook a meal. I can't run my own bath. Like I just feel so overwhelmed by the tiny, tiny little day-to-day things. And this year I've been doing all of them and I've been doing all of them alone. I would like start running a bath for myself and like going into it be like, I'm empowered. I can do this. I can take care of myself. And then like halfway through filling up the bathtub, I'm like, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to be alone. I can't do this. Somebody else put in the bubble bath. And I think it was just, this year was really hard because so many of the things like planning what to actually do on the day, if I'm going to do anything, he, he does that for me. He's my person who's always done these things for me. And so I think that's why, yeah, this year, this year was really, it was, it was pretty bad. So I went away though and alone, just not alone in my house. I cried and cried and cried every day. And then the day of, I didn't cry at all. And then the, it was on a Monday. And then the Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday after I cried every single day. It was really interesting. Cause I was like, on the day I was like, this doesn't feel as bad as the lead up and knowing it's coming. And then after I was like, this feels way worse knowing it's past and I'm just starting another year. <laughs> I appreciate you sharing about that so openly for for a few reasons. One is that I think a lot of people hear like, oh, four years and each anniversary must must get easier. And to hear like, no, not true. And also the idea that, you know, we've talked a bit on the show and it comes up in our groups a lot about how the lead up is oftentimes harder than the actual day. But I don't know if I've ever talked with anyone about how the aftermath can also be really hard because there was all that lead up and then it happened and you got through it. And then it's like, Oh, now the clock just starts ticking on the next time that it's coming around. So yeah, thank you for articulating that. I hadn't ever thought about it from that perspective before. Oh, of course. Yeah. And I think for me, it's, so we had our one year wedding anniversary at the end of September. We just got married a year ago. We're like looking through videos and photos. And I was like, she wasn't there. This is such a horrible reminder. And then it was her death anniversary, the first week of October. And then her birthday is in November. And then Thanksgiving was a family time. Then it's Christmas family time. Then it's my birthday, January 4th. So I just know after her death anniversary. I'm like, this is the beginning of a long road of many hard days. And so, yeah, the aftermath, I'm like, cool. I got that one out of the way. (laughs) What next? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. And it sounds like your, your husband will be there to run the bath for the next month, at least. Yeah, he'll be here for for a month. So what are you... Well, I was going to say, what are you looking forward to? But that's a hard question to answer right now. What's your hope for your work in the grief world over the next year? I, my, like what brings me the most joy right now and makes me feel like even on the days when it's hard to wake up and do this, I'm still going to keep doing it is when people say that they feel seen or heard by my words or my voice or my work, Um, because I know how terrible it is to feel something in your body that you want to be able to articulate, or you want to be able to find the words for, 
and you want to like put a name to, or you want to put a concept to, and you just can't. And it feels so isolating um, and so frustrating. Anytime someone says to me on Instagram, in an email, whatever, in an event, I knew that I was feeling this, but I just couldn't describe it. I couldn't explain it. If I can just help people or guide people through that experience for the next year and beyond, I know how much it can change our relationship with our grief, how much it can change our relationship with those frustrating pieces sort of being locked in our body that we like can't unlock or can't really dig into. And so that's, I mean, that's why I do all of this work. Like that's why I write and put all of these words out into the world. Cause I'm like, hopefully one person will read this and then feel like, okay, that's how I've been feeling. I can explain it to my partner who's been struggling with navigating grief with me or my family who's been struggling navigating grief with me. That is like, that's my dream a hundred percent. So Elisa, before we talk about all the ways that listeners can find your words, which believe me, listeners, you definitely need to read them because I feel that way. Every time I read them, I'm like, oh, yes, exactly. That's just what we were trying to talk about in our group and we couldn't quite find the right words for it. So now I'm going to send this post to my group because now they're going to have the words that they were looking for. And tell us a little bit about the course that you had mentioned that you have built out with the other folks who participated in that Saying It Louder panel. Yeah. I was really, I'm not trying to use the word lucky. I'm like, we worked freaking hard to make this, but I just feel so (laughs) lucky to be in company with these women. We, after the course, just sort of realized there's such a huge opportunity to be able to educate people and be in conversation with people who are professionals in the death space and professionals in a lot of different industries that touch grieving people or dying people or just people at all, because we're all going to die. Um, and talk about those intersections of how grief, for me, my portion of it, how grief is complex and how it can be impacted by identity and how it can be impacted by all kinds of things for clients or for people in your life. I just did one module in part of the course. And so we did a module, um, LaShana Williams did a module on language, for example, and how we talk about these things um, can be shifted or changed to make the dying experience more inclusive. And then, so it was me, LaShana, Oceana Sawyer, Joel Anthony, and Ilua Arthur. And we put together this course, just, I think really as a reflection of what we think needs to be shifted in death care and in in the world of grief and caring for people in general as we navigate toward the end of our lives and after. So I'm really excited about it and to see it live and out in the world now is, I haven't ever birthed a baby, but I'm like, this is, it feels like giving birth to something like new and fresh and really just exciting for all of us. And what's the course called and how can people sign up? Yeah. Um, whoa, my brain just <laughs> blanks so hard. You can leave this in. This is grief brain. This is grieving uh, going a hundred miles an hour. It's called shifting death care <laughs> tools for a new paradigm. I'm like, oh, I, my brain is going so many directions right now. Yeah. So that's, that's the name of it. And people can find it on all of our, like all of the people that I just named, you can find it on all of our socials. You can also find it on 
um, Elu is going with Grace website under courses and yeah. Well, I know your brain is going in many different directions because you got to get to the airport to pick up your husband. So as we come to the close of our conversation today, like where else can people connect with you? Yeah, my website, alisafornery.com, my Instagram, alisa.fornery, and my Facebook is grief is hard AF. And I think that's that everything. I don't really do Twitter. I should. I should get better about that. Um, but this is enough. Um, yeah. So all of my work around uh, grief and the workplace is on my website. All of my work around grief and identity is on the website. Um, and then there's lots of links to all kinds of different projects and partners and things that I'm doing right now um, in my Instagram feed and, and everything. Yeah. So it sounds like listeners stay tuned and keep checking the website. Cause there's, you produce so much. There's always something new that I'm like, Oh, I got to check this out. So looking forward to that and looking forward to uh, looking more into the course and yeah. Thank you so much for making time today to be on grief out loud for the second time. I'm sure there'll be a third Yay. sometime in the future too. <laughs> thank you so much for having me. This is a really lovely break in my day and a way to have a send off into like a really big transition in my life right now. So thank you again. And listeners out there, I say it every time. Thank you so much for tuning in, for being part of our community. If you're new to the show, you can find all of our past episodes at our website, dougy.org. If you want to reach out to me and connect about the show, you can send me an email at griefoutloud at dougie, Thanks again for listening, and we hope you can join us again next time. <laughs>